Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest edition of The Ranking, which is the special Empire podcast in which we rank, yes, rank, I said rank, the filmography of a director or a writer or an actor or a franchise. And in this case, we've gone for our first ever franchise, and it is... Dun, 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 the famous Space Wars. No. <laughs> no. No. Space travel. Space travel. Space Star- journey. Space wagon. <laughs> Space wagon. Star- Close, actually. Star Trek. Yeah. Yes, it is indeed Star Trek. And over the next hour or so, we are going to be rating the Star Trek movies and then coming up with a definitive order for them. That's very, very exciting. And I am joined by three Trekaroonies. Uh, I am joined by Helen O'Hara. Hello, I'm not sure that's the word. But that is okay. the word. That's the official word, Helen. Uh, Dan Jolin. Hello. I'm doing that thing. Oh, right. You're holding, my up, hand. I'm you're holding, holding up, up my hand. You're holding a fee for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is your favourite one. Oh is, that what, is that what it is? <laughs> Don't. Honestly, I will jump across this table and <laughs> rip your heart out. And we would all tell you it was justifiable homicide. Yes. <laughs> that's the old Falcon procedure, isn't it? <laughs> And uh, we're joined, of course, by James Dyer, who has patronised more people about Star Trek movies than you've had hot... Um, Romy the Nail. Kerplach. That was Kerplunk. Uh, and, and I will say that what you just did was an attempt at Klingon, even though you called it Vulcan, because you're an idiot. Yeah. Yes. That was I realised I realized as I was doing it, it sounded like Klingon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's fine. What, what, what does Vulcan sound like? It sounds a lot like English, because they translate it with a universal translator. And don't they translate Klingon with a universal translator? So, well, only when, when plot convenience requires it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready to patronise me for the next 45 <laughs> oh. minutes or so? Ready and willing and able. Because that's established some credentials here. James, you are... A, a, the official word is Trekker, right? Yeah. Well, no, I, I go with Trekkie. I'm old school. You prefer Trekkie? I don't need to be patronised. I'm more than happy to embrace the fact that it's massively nerdy. Okay. Good, good, good. Dan, but you've seen, you've seen all the films. I have, seen, seen, I have seen all, all things Trek ever made, ever. Dan, what's your, what are your credentials? Establish your Star Trek credentials right now. Well, Star Trek's been part of my life for all my life. You know, I saw the original series as a child growing up. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture was the second film I ever saw at the cinema. And oh, uh, maybe more on this later, but I did fall asleep. <clears throat> I was five. <laughs> and then as a teenager, the next generation came along and I loved it and watched the whole thing. And then, uh, yeah, I've seen all the movies. And like... <laughs> at least half of them. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll, we'll get on that in a second. And uh, and Helen? Um, similar. I haven't seen every single thing because I haven't seen all of the animated series. And oh, f- that's true. Neither have I. Ah. ah, yeah, you got me there. And I actually missed a couple of the later seasons of Enterprise, which at some point it's I might go see. But kind like, of forgivable. Eh, you know. Yeah. Um, but yes, I am a, I'm a big Trek fan and like Dan, probably about half the films. But there is that interesting thing with Trek films, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so the, the the rule for the original sort of crew was even numbers good, odd numbers pretty bad, uh-huh. or at least yeah. weaker. And then that's slightly been reversed maybe in the J.J. Abrams era. That's mm-hmm. an accurate assessment. I would say that the, the best odd-numbered film for me is three. Yeah, the this is correct. For Spock, uh, which uh, I believe James does not care for. I, it's, it's not the best odd-numbered film. But it's fine. What's the best outnumbered film? Are we talking J.J. Abrams? No, no, no. Seven, nine. Seven, nine. You're Eleven. Just, you're, take you're, your pick. You're just, you're just making up numbers now. These, these aren't even real films. No, Eleven is the best outnumbered one. But, yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I think yeah. the whole odd even thing got thrown out when the Next Generation films came along, didn't it? Yeah, that's it, why well, I said original. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah, and no, because Seven's the first Next Gen film, which I'm sure we'll get onto, is flawed, uh, mm-hmm. and Nine, which I love, is heavily flawed. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not entirely unfair. But uh, we have hit upon something that uh, I discovered actually when I was putting together. Uh, my top 10. So how the, how the ranking works is that we each put together our individual top 10 and then I assign a point system to each one. So number 10 gets, number one gets 10 points, number 10 gets one point and so on. And then we figure it out and I go away and run it through a little calculator. Bloop, 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 bloop. And then we come back with a definitive Empire top 10. So that's what we're going to do right at the end of the podcast. Uh, so we're going to be going through that in the top 10. But when I was going through my top 10, oh man, I struggled. Because I think there are about uh, and again, James will disagree here, but, you know, that's what he does. He picks hills to die on. Uh, there are about, I'd say, at a stretch, seven objectively good Star Trek films. And then after that, you have just varying degrees of shitness all the way down to the final frontier. I think I had eight ones that I was happy to put in a top ten. Okay. And then the other two were very, they were fine. And I think that's what's interesting. So I, the, the two I put in at the bottom of my top 10 were Next Generation films, which I think are fine. <laughs> but, they didn't, but they didn't upset me as much as the really bad original series ones or the really bad J.J. Abrams one, um, both of which, <laughs> all of which made me actively angry. So these ones didn't make me angry. I just didn't love them. The problem you've got with this as a franchise is that you can think of episodes from the TV shows mm. which are stronger than the movies. I mean, I, I, I'm terrible at remembering the titles of any of the episodes, so I couldn't say well, this episode or that episode, but some of the Next Generation episodes, you know, or the two-parters even, yep. which, you know, at the time up is equivalent of a movie, were so much better than, say, for example, Insurrection or something like that. So, and, and, and recently Discovery, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. So in my head at the moment, the best thing in Star Trek is Star Trek Discovery. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you can't separate the films out from that. So... They're kind of, yeah, you, you, it's, it's in doing this list, I was kind of wishing I could put all oh, that episode where in <laughs> instead of a film. But then we would have ended oh, up okay. with... Then, oh. then we'd actually have a discussion about number one, because I suspect we all agree largely on what number one is. I think um, you might be surprised. Really? I think you might be surprised. Okay, we've got some contrarians in the room, fine. Mm. But the point being, I think Best of Both Worlds would suddenly be in the mix. At least Best mm. of Both Worlds Part One would be right up there. In fact, let's talk about it now. Let's talk about what I think uh, would be most people's undisputed champ uh, of mm-hmm. Star Trek. And for me, this is the undisputed champ of all Star Trek, the yeah. best of both worlds. If we were to allow that, and we allowed TV for the Stephen King ranking a, a couple of months ago, but I think it would, would get a bit complicated if we suddenly allowed it for Star Trek. It, for me, it's, it's Wrath of Khan. And Wrath of Khan is, is just... The best Star Trek film, isn't it? By a country mile. It's blinding. It's got a great piece of horror in it, you know, with the the worm thing in Chekhov's ear, which is giving nightmares as a kid. A literal Um, earworm. A literal earworm. Mm -hmm. It's got those great naval battle scenes, which for me are right up there with Master and Commander and Hunt for Red October. It It has high stakes like no other... Trek film, I think, and it has that emotional whammy that I still cannot talk about without tearing up. I just, I, I cannot. It is so well done. You're talking about the death of Scotty's young nephew. <laughs> um, I'm just not okay with it. We didn't know that was his nephew, though, unless we were watching it on telly. What, really? Yeah, that was the weird thing because the theatrical release mm. of Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, so right. Wrath of Khan, 
didn't, or Roth, depending on, didn't have that scene where you, it's revealed that that's uh, Scotty's nephew. It was right. only when they showed it on telly, they showed a longer version. Oh. Really? Yeah, yeah. So if you go back, if you remember that scene and you actually went back now on watching on DVD or something, they wouldn't be there. Holy shit, Dan yeah. dropping the knowledge bombs. The wow. knowledge photon torpedoes have been fired. <laughs> Amazing, Dan, you have, you have, you've enlightened me. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a big moment. That's a big emotional moment. There's nothing else in that film. No, nothing else. No. No. But um, that, that film is so great for, for a whole bunch of reasons. And we'll get on to that moment as well uh, later on. But it's so good as well about friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the best, uh, it's the best representation for me of that holy trinity in the original Star Trek movies. Uh, so obviously I'm talking about Uhura, uh, Worf, <laughs> and Chekhov. Uh, Worf? Just, yeah, they're just together at long last. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, Bones, Kirk, and Spock. It's the best representation of that friendship for me. Uhura. What? It's Uhura, not Uhura. I don't care. Just Why do I care? What, about I getting the name care. right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's up to you. If you want to say on the podcast, do whatever you want. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was O'Hara. Yeah, what's that? Yes, too? it is, yes. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, please. Helen Uhura. Uhura? Uhura. Uhura. No one says it like that in the Star Trek movies. Except everyone in Star Trek movies. Nobody does. Yeah, that's her name. Anyway. Uh, it's just it's such a, a really rich, rich uh, sketching of that, of, of, of aging as well. Yes, and I think the reason that it works and that a film like Star Trek Into Darkness is complete tripe is that uh, it has the weight of 30 years of friendship behind it. And even if you never watched the original series, because I hadn't watched most of the original series when mm. I saw that film, but you feel that. You feel that long sense of camaraderie between them. You feel that they don't always agree, but they respect each other's respective strengths. And it just... It just ring. It has the ring of truth to it. I think because there is an element of truth there that I think they they'd had their disagreements over the years. They'd had their fallings out over the years. But by mm-hmm. that point, they were, you know, a little bit more on solid ground, and they felt a little bit more for each other. And it kind of comes across on screen. I think I, I, I sense the undercurrent of hostility towards Into Darkness seeping into this particular. Dude, <laughs> I'm still I, angry. I, 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 in defence of Into Darkness, it is not a great film, but it's not a bad film. I think a lot of the animosity towards it comes from the fact that it tries to surf the Wrath of Khan's yes. wave, and there's an insult to that. There's a how dare they? You haven't earned this to yes. that. And I think all of that is valid, but I think I I try and set that aside and kind of love it for what it is. You know, sort of mongrel dog stray thing that's wandered in off the streets but you know it's still cute it's still fluffy you can still stroke it there are good bits in it and i do think that cast is also an extremely good cast Mm. but it but yeah i I can't get over the insult i'm sorry i do remember at the time quite enjoying it but i haven't been tempted to revisit it at any point since and yeah it, it it pitches into because the first the first abrams uh trek is I think legitimately great. It has plot yes. holes the size of a, oh, a yeah. really floating planet, Mine possibly Olympics, the yeah. biggest in the entire cinematic series. Which is uh, no, just it doesn't. The timeline stuff doesn't make any sense. Like, what has Nero been doing? It, I mean, honestly, if you <laughs> start thinking about it, you start wanting it. to. Mm, I'm sure there was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have to produce a comic to explain yeah. the plot hole in your film, he was he was um, mining for the Klingons. Oh, he was uh, there, actually, there are deleted ones, scenes from that. Yeah. I believe as well, no, it's, which never it's made it pining in. for the fjords. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. So the first track is is great. One of my best 
cinematic experiences was watching at the Royal Albert Hall a few years ago. Did you guys go to that? The uh, one of those things where they have the live orchestra playing the uh, the, the soundtrack. So it was Abram Star Trek with Michael Chikino there. Uh, just looking on, someone else did the conducting, and J.J. Abrams and Simon Pegg came on to do an int- introduction, and it was just glorious. Oh. That Chikino score for that movie it's is awesome. so wonderful. Good. Yeah. Those timpani are just amazing. oh, I love the timpani. Like Ken. it. It's no Rather Khan score though. Like, the Rather Khan score is that's, I mean, very, that's a Trek yeah. high point. That is yeah. Rather Khan score is like that close to Aliens. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's yeah. like it's just sort of like yeah. just 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 a little bit to the left. It's, it's Aliens. It's very string heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just to jump back, because I, 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 I'm slightly worried that we're going to get sidetracked from talking about how good Wrath of Khan is and just get into a kicking into darkness, <laughs> which it does deserve because Helen's right, it is shit. Oh. But um, um, something to pick up something Helen said, which, which was the, uh, the, 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 the naval battle, effectively. Mm. And what, what I love about Wrath of Khan is that we were so used to space battles being dogfights because of mm-hmm. Star Wars. Whereas what Rafa Khan did was it reminded us that, I mean, not that I'm an expert on interstellar combat or whatever, but that it would be more like naval warfare, mm-hmm. that that makes sense, except in three dimensions. And I think Rafa Khan just sold that perfectly. And I really love the fact that it's kind of, it's slow and careful and considered and the way that the tactics have to be thought out as you're anticipating the moves, a few moves ahead and everything. And, you know, I just thought that was, that was superb. Yeah. And again, it reflects the series better, I think, than mm. any dogfight would. Yeah. But the entire film is nautical, isn't it? Because it's essentially yeah. retreading a Moby Dick. Moby Dick, so it's, yeah. yeah mm. That sort of runs very deeply in its veins. But the whole thing was a response in a way, wasn't it? It was a, it was a, 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 a course correction. It was a writing of the <laughs> ship after the motion picture. has certainly put Star Trek... changed tack. It had put it back in the map, but not in a great way. And this felt more like an attempt to make a rip-roaring adventure. Yeah, I mean, the, no one... Is anyone going to go to bat for the motion picture? No one. No one can go to bat for that. Apart apart from anything else, just (laughs) the look of it was wrong. I mean, those horrendous flesh-coloured uniforms are one of the worst decisions, I think, in in costuming history. And there there are, I think, some good bits about it. And it has some big sci-fi concepts. Yeah, yeah. But it's so... Messy overall. That I, I, yeah, mm, mess. No. And it's, it, Robert Wise directed it. And I do wonder sometimes if if it suffered from that very early example of what can happen sometimes with a say for example a comic book movie when you have a director who doesn't necessarily have a connection to the source material or maybe thinks are a little bit above the source material and maybe tries to outthink it and over intellectualize it and sometimes that can result in brilliance. You can have yeah. you can have a, a, a dark night. And sometimes it can result in Ang Lee's Hulk, uh, which is flawed, sometimes like brilliant. <laughs> and I quite like it. But at the same time, it does have at the end Eric Banner and Nick Nolte screaming at each other like some terrible off-Broadway off, off play. And I wonder if maybe Robert Wise did that a little bit. You know, here's the great director of West Side Story. And, and so maybe he has to elevate it in some way. I, I don't really know. But that's just my, my feeling. And so it's, it's, it, it posts Star Wars and it feels so leaden and pedestrian post Star mm. Wars. It's, it's funny because, of course, it was like Star Wars and Close Encounters. Because originally, mm-hmm. so they talked first of all about the movie in 1975. And then they were like, oh, wait, no, no, let's just do a new series. And then, and then it was Star Wars and Close Encounters. And they were like, oh, no, hang on. Time is right. Let's do this. But it feels like more of a reaction to 2001 A Space Odyssey than any other film. In fact, Trumbull came on board because they, they were having problems with the effects. And they basically got Trumbull in and went, help us. We've only got a few months to release. Uh, so it kind of like it has that feel to it, but it doesn't fit. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a Star Trek film. No. And, and actually, to the franchise's credit, 
the others generally do. Even if they have problems, they generally feel like Star Trek films. Mm. Which is, not, you know, not true of every franchise. So fair play, yeah, I, I guess, in that sense. Jimbo, what's your take on, uh, on the motion picture? I think it's dreadful. Um, I don't know what Star Trek Phase 2 would have been if it had gone ahead. Uh, and I know that, they, as Dan said, they, they kind of readjusted this to become... It had been a movie, then it was a show, then it was a movie. But I think, yeah, I think it, it existing in the way it does those more to Close Encounters than it does to Star mm. Wars. But it's, yeah, it's a mess. They sideline important characters. They introduce ridiculous new ones. The whole Vija Voyager idea isn't <laughs> particularly profound even though they seem to think it is it's a bit more than anything else it's just very very boring and i think the the worst when star trek is at its absolute worst it's just fucking tedious and i think this is the most egregious offender in that area i mean the other bad films i'm looking specifically at number five are also very very boring but at least that has spock in jet boots do you know what i mean this doesn't (laughs) even have that it has nothing going for it that is Um, the only good scene yeah literally the only good thing oh no that's uh, scotty banging his head (laughs) i know the ship like the back of my hand and then bang smacks oh, his head no yeah. the bit where they've got to distract the guards so Uhura puts on a sexy outfit it, it's O'Hara sorry <laughs> Helen puts on a no uh, Uhura puts on a sexy outfit stands on top of a sand dune or something and she does a dance <laughs> like a sexy dance yeah. and all the guards go ooh, ooh, sexy lady and all run off and then they just walk in through the front doors that's the best scene in, in the final frontier. Yeah. That's how you distract guards, though. It, it, it's true. Yeah, that's if, honestly. You've got yeah. to yeah, exactly. You've got to use what you've got, right? Okay. And if, if you've got uh, a seventy-year-old woman, a seventy-year-old attractive woman, get um, her to do a sexy dance. It will always yeah. work. To be honest, you her never her never needed to put on a sexy outfit to be sexy. She's no. she's a goddess. I I spoke to Shatner about uh, Five, obviously, which he directed, and he is. I don't know if the word is unrepentant, but certainly <laughs> <laughs> certainly, he feels a little bit like budgetary constraints stopped it from being what he wanted it to be. Did he write a book no. afterwards going, I did it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it, but if I had. If I had, it would have been this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. I mean, it's the second worst, isn't it? Or yeah. the worst, depending on your day. I mean, you can, I think one and five are interchangeable for the bottom spot in terms of all Trek films. Yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to pick one over the other. Well, this goes back to my thing again about, you know, never mind even numbers and odd numbers. I mean, you can, you can, I know you can also split the Star Trek movies into three distinct sets, of course. The original series, which went mm-hmm. up to six and a half you could yeah. say and then the next gen movies which yeah. ran for four and then of course the reboot which seems to have stopped at three mm. and I hope it doesn't because I quite enjoy this reboot cast and I really hope that they, they, they get this the fourth one off the ground can I correct you Chris yes it's not a reboot oh for the love of God that's uh, an alternate timeline yeah it's, oh, it's actually a continuation I wonder if the heart went out of them slightly with the death of Anton Yelchin um, because he had so much heart in those films and, and I feel like that might be part of the reason they feel stalled. There, there, there's, no, there's no way to replace him and just losing Chekhov means you'd lose something, I think, in that, in that group. I don't think you'd lose that much. I think he was very good, but I don't think Chekhov is an essential member of he's the crew. Not, he's not a big cast member. Yeah. But I think... Um, I was thinking about this this morning, again, in, in relation to Wrath of Khan, actually, but he's his sort of sense of enthusiasm and innocence and, and, mm. and being younger than the rest, which was always kind of his thing, even into his 60s, yeah. um, 
is 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 important somehow it's just that that little bit of extra i don't know youthful energy that i mean they tried to replace with will wheaton do you know what i mean they, they went to a 13 year old to try and find the same thing and so i feel like you i don't know why you need that but it feels like it it does matter i don't know i i, I wonder if it's a little bit more cold than that i don't think it's just about Money. box office performance yeah. i think star trek beyond Although I really, really like it, and I think yeah. it does a lot of things right. Didn't pull up any trees at the, at the box office worldwide. And so I think the plans for a fourth one, which, as we know, had been semi-announced and would have involved Chris Hemsworth coming back as mm-hmm. George Kirk and some sort of time travel malarkey. And that sounds really fun, and it, it sounds like a really, really nice solution. How do we bump up the, the box office for this? Or we'll stick Thor in it. Uh, obviously not as Thor. That would be weird. But uh, that, w- that would have worked for me. I mean, I think... The thing that works for me with the Trek films is when the, they play on the continuity, when they play on the connections, right? I mean, two, three, and four yeah. are a trilogy. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of sit together. They kind of almost, they're almost continuous, mm-hmm. I think, if I remember correctly. They are, yeah, they are, yeah. They're very close together time, timeline-wise. And it works really well. It's why you can forgive The Search for Spock for its flaws, because actually it's the middle part of two fun films. Yes. What was really nice about the, the JJ not reboot, uh, the establishment of the Kelvin timeline, which is actually number three on my list. Am I allowed to say that at this point? Fuck it. Is that it actually, it, it, it follows the continuity. Yeah. It fits in with the whole, you know, even though it creates its own continuum, it fits in because it, it plays into yeah. things. And my number one film, which isn't The Wrath of Khan. Weirdo. <gasps> what? Weirdo. Which isn't The Wrath of Khan is one of the reasons it's, I, I, it beat The Wrath of Khan, and we can come to it later, is because it fits so nicely within the over, overall continuity of, of the entire franchise. Uh, matter of fact, connecting up two, effectively. Oh, what is it? Um, Undiscovered Country. Oh, okay. Mm. So Undiscovered Country was very nearly my top choice as well. Mm, that's number two for me. Mm-hmm. What is it about Undiscovered Country, which is a film I've seen maybe twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it a lot, and I, I didn't see and I don't remember now what it is. Well, that's all, of the undiscovered, all of the Undiscovered Country's appeal can be distilled into one shot where an airborne Kirk flies across the screen uh, and, and tackles... Um, what's his name? Is it Kurtwood Smith? Is it Kurtwood Smith? Kurtwood Smith. Uh, flies across the screen and tackles Kurtwood Smith, does he yell, saving him. Does he yell, bitches, leave? <laughs> he, he does he, not. He does okay. uh, saving him from a, uh, from a sniper's bullet. Amazing. And that is one of the greatest moments in cinema. Is that it? Is no, it, there's loads there's, to it. I mean, it's fantastic. It, yeah. Christopher Plummer is amazing as General Chang. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just, it's got such a great guest cast in this one and yeah. the Klingon stuff is fantastic the Klingon stuff when that were and that was the yeah. thing with the, the the original series films that work were about Klingons which is weird because they're not the only or the best baddie necessarily in the series but they are the best baddie I think by far in the films and they they work because they raise the films to a sort of Shakespearean level, literally, mm-hmm, literally in the Wrath of Khan and the Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. Um, they they lean into that big, broad drama that gives you the sense of scope without losing a sense of intelligence. Because I think mm-hmm. Star Wars film, Star Trek films. I apologize. Star Trek films have to be intelligent as well as being space adventures mm. they can't just be adventure stories there has to be something more which is why you know Chris Pine is very good casting Zachary Quinto because they're smart guys which is why Shatner and, and Nimoy work because they are smart men um, you have to have that intellectual like, edge as well as the daring do and the punching and the green ladies this, this one <laughs> follows on as well because obviously it's the death of his son which is the catalyst for this because he's kind of hoist by his own petard in terms of his prejudice against Klingons it's, it's, 
Picard. It's hoist, yes, indeed. <laughs> hoist by his own Picard. Uh, when he's sentenced to the uh, penal asteroid of Rurapente, uh, the oh, ice planet, <laughs> when uh, he and... Uh, yeah. You can't see what James's <laughs> eyes just did uh, if you're reading this uh, in the magazine or if you're listening to this on the podcast. But James, your eyes went really funny when you said that. I don't know if you're aware that you, you do that. Do you not know? He loves saying that phrase. Rurapente. No. He says um, it all the time. Yes. The penal asteroid of Rurapente. Uh, but that whole trial sequence is fantastic when uh, Plummer's going, don't wait for the translation! And you've got Worf, uh, Michael Dorn returns as Worf's ancestor as yep. their kind of defence counsel. <laughs> it's a fantastic Grand set dead. piece, but there's so much texture to this. You've got the whodunit on the ship, you know, who's responsible for the murders on the ship. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. and, uh, it's a conspiracy thriller. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's a yeah, conspiracy no, it thriller it's in so space. Good. I mean, it's like Ratha Khan's great mm. because it's it's an old school naval, you know, uh, adventure in space. And Star Trek 6 is a conspiracy thriller. Yeah. And but. Samantha from Sex and the City, it turns out it's guilty. And, you know, <laughs> nobody saw that coming. <laughs> and um, Christian Slater has the most bizarre and random cameo. Yes, yes. I love that. Yeah. I yeah. love that he's he just, just pops up. In, he just pops Isn't up in the scene for no reason. I have it in my head. Wasn't his mother like the casting director? There's a familial connection but there. he 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 wanted to be in it like he is a trek fan hmm. it was yeah. a genuine it was his choice because he just wakes him up yeah uh he wakes up cameron from ferris bueller's day off and you don't even see his face it's <laughs> yeah, brilliant that's right. um what a cast and he, uh, uh, a man as well yes you know? a man, yeah. Who, yeah. i mean like cast for type as a sexy alien i mean <laughs> the woman was married to bowie she's not even trying to hide the fact that she's I mean, a sexy alien. there is an issue there because she's a shapeshifter slash changeling before they introduced shapeshifter slash changelings and everyone acts as if the founders in Deep Space Nine are this mythical thing that no one's ever heard of and yet apparently not because no one bats an eyelid when they see a changeling on Ruripente so just saying retcon consistency okay yeah I think that's what everyone was thinking about that role uh, (laughs) going back to the continuity and what I love about Star Trek 6 as well is it's it's the bridge between the next generation and the original series because it's it, it presents the event that caused the peace, you know, caused mm-hmm. peace with the Klingons mm-hmm. and enabled Worf, who we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. you know, to be on the Enterprise for the next generation. But, and again, what you're saying about the intelligence of it, it's, it's the analogy for um, Glasnost, yes. isn't it? It's yeah, the end of the Cold so. War. Yeah. The Klingons were always the, uh, the USSR, yeah. uh, you know, in, in terms of the metaphor of, you know, the, the, the universe. And um, sometimes and, and dodgy now, metaphor of the universe. It doesn't always, but yes. it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's you know no. ethically or in, ethically sound or entirely consistent, but uh, but and, and that's what's really interesting, and the fact that that, that Kirk is quite antagonistic mm. at the start of the story as well, and he ha- it's his journey. He has to come round, and he has to accept that he has to give up all his hatred, and he has to give up, mm. or throw out, throw out all his baggage for the sake of the greater good. Note to self, Romulan Ale, never to be served at diplomatic functions. <laughs> so useful. Such yeah. a good, but it's also a film about consequences, like Wrath of Khan again. Mm. They're, they're both films about your past returning to haunt you and the mm. sometimes morally questionable decisions that you made in the heat of a moment when mm. you didn't have much choice, maybe, or when you did, but you just did them anyway. Mm. You know, the, the repercussions of that coming back and biting you in the behind. Uh, both films, of course, uh, written and directed by Nicholas Mayer. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he's he is the star of Star Trek, right? Mm. Yeah. And he's a massive uh, Shakespeare fan, which is why there are loads of Shakespeare references yeah. in, in both films. Yeah, but they do sound best in the original Klingon. Someone love, has actually written. I love Bones when, uh, when Plumber is going, cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. And uh, Bones is going, I'd pay real money for him to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's from Julius Caesar, right? Which is a play surprisingly full of great lines. Of course, the the, the title comes from the to be or not to be speech. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Well, no, like, like you think of Hamlet Macbeth. I don't always think of Julius Caesar on the same level, but it's got so many like just amazing lines in it yes infamy infamy they've all got an infamy and who of course can forget when Caesar says never rub another man's rhubarb great moments in Shakespeare history Okay. Is that not a line? Mm, maybe it is. Okay. I don't remember That's the whole play. Uh, so Nicholas Mayer directed the two best uh, original cast Star yes. Trek yeah. films. I think we can all agree on that. And then we let's move imperceptibly into the next gen movies. Uh, and of course, they had their cake and, and ate it a little bit with Generations, where where Kirk turns up and then pops off, shuffles off this mortal coil. What do we think of the of the Star Trek Next Gen movies? Four of them, and I would say that only one of them is an unqualified, unfarnished triumph. Yes. Which first one would contact. you say? Oh, first uh, contact. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the thing with Next Gen, uh, my affection, as I think Dan's is, is, is for Next Gen over mm. original series, and always will be, just because it's of that period in my life, and it's the one that I grew up loving. Uh, also, it's better. So I, I have a real affection for all the Next Gen films, but Generations is not a great film. No, it's, it's not. problematic. The plot isn't great and it just doesn't really fit together uh, and the send-off for Kirk is frankly underwhelming as well but they really rallied with First Contest and I think using the Borg and using them well was a great idea mm-hmm. bringing it back to Zephyr Cochran First Contact with the, with, you know, with the Vulcans was an interesting idea having the Borg try and take over Earth back then the introduction of the Borg Sphere the introduction of the Borg Queen which Voyager mm. would then go on to make a massive meal out of and you know ruin slightly <laughs> uh, yeah I mean the, the Borg Queen always slightly stuck out for me because I'm like no they're a collective there, there shouldn't be a Queen um, but I suppose it makes it handy to have one person to talk to <laughs> yeah. you know you kind of need to have a face on the antagonist don't I you guess. Krieg is as good a face as I mean, any. it was a great face, yeah. don't get me wrong, but yeah, it always sort of struck me as slightly inconsistent. Well, the mythology mean, means there's not just one queen. It, it becomes yeah. slightly problematic. Like, there are multiple queens, but then you, I think they share the same consciousness. It's it's slightly unclear. Oh, there's a lot of that in, like, sci-fi, isn't there? Yeah. Like, Tyra and the Hive series and all those, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, what an entrance. Yeah. Oh, no, yes, yeah. lowered yeah. down just yeah. a torso into that body. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Not even torso, like a... Like a, a a classical yeah. bust yeah with a it? dangling spinal column yeah but first contact of course I, I think it works because it's a great character piece you've got a lot of humour as mm. well with mm. travelling back in time which the voyage home mind but this is this is less obvious and on the nose and cringeworthy I'd say with the attempts <laughs> at humour than, than the voyage home um it's intriguing, of course, as Jonathan Frakes directing this, mm-hmm. and there's a long tradition in the Star Trek films of cast members directing. Leonard Nimoy directed three and four, and Shatner shat the bed with, with five. <laughs> uh, and David Carson, who was a director on the uh, Next Gen show, I believe, yeah, was stepped up to play for Generations and didn't yeah. do that well. So, so Frakes grabbed his chance with, with, with eight, with First Contact, mm-hmm. and did very, very well. Yeah, he's a good director. The, uh, the Picard stuff is what I like the most. It's the, the difficulty he has having been a Borg. That kind of yeah. breakdown, the kind of this far and no further. And sp- you broke your little ship. But again, that, that goes back. That's almost an element from echoing Undiscovered Country in the same way that the time travel echoes Voyage Home. That, that mm. It's, it's mm. a deliberate, I think, attempt to kind of reset a little bit and, and pick, you know, remind people what you love about Star Trek, I think, in, in this, mm. these films. And I think the Moby Dick references come back, don't they? A little bit, yeah. 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 First they do. Contact. Yeah. 
But I remember seeing that at the cinema, it was, and the audience was really hyped. I remember cheering when Worf turned up. Yeah, you know, there's, 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 they're being attached, and this other ship flies yeah, in and blasts them, and then it's you know it's Worf. With, Today would be a good day to die. And, <laughs> you know, it made it made me think maybe this isn't as nerdy as I thought it <laughs> was. This, the these all seem yeah. like quite normal people, and they're <laughs> cheering Worf. Um, I, okay, uh, trackers are hidden yeah. in surprising places. Who wouldn't but, cheer uh, that, that was one of the, the, yeah. the this, that was one of the biggest films box office wise, wasn't it? Yeah, First contact, not the biggest because I think that was four until the JJ yeah. one. Came yeah. on yeah. Four. But then I think after four, it was first contact. Four, if we're absolutely honest, isn't really a Star Trek film, is it? Do, do, I mean, do you remember that like, you, you would make a joke about when someone said, oh, I know what the sequel to Star Wars is going to be in, in your playground, and a kid would go, what is it, what is it? Oh, they all come to Earth. You know, like, oh, Luke and Leia and Chewie are going to come to Earth. And we're going to make because it was a long time ago. No, I know, I know, so but that was the, so that the stupid work. joke. But that's what Star Trek did. It's like, it's the one where they all yeah. come to Earth and walk around and... And have amusing incidences mm. where they where they assault, assault Eddie Murphy poor punks. As well. What Eddie Murphy was going to be the uh, person that they met, uh, but he didn't want to do it. He wanted to be an alien, and they wanted him to be a human, and so he refused to take part. But wow! So in, instead, it was originally an Eddie Murphy vehicle. Okay, instead it was a whale. Instead it was a whale. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> the original plot was this probe is coming back and it's distressed that Eddie Murphy is no longer on Earth. <laughs> so they have to go back in time and it's, get Eddie it's, Murphy. It's <laughs> seen Norbert. Yes. It's seen Norbert and wants to stop it. Yeah. But I, I quite, I, I don't mind the voyage home. It's it's very fun. It's very light. It's very frothy. Again, the, the characters are fun and they're having fun with each other. And so, you know, it may not be the deepest character work. It really isn't yeah. the deepest character work. But I just quite enjoyed seeing them all just have a laugh. It's the same way that I really want to see an Avengers film where they just sit around and shoot the shit for two hours. Mm. It, it feels like that a little bit, mm. you know. It, again, it's an interesting tonal shift from three, which mm-hmm. uh, is quite intense and quite dark. But obviously, you know, Kirk's son dies in that. And there's a, there's a fair bit of, of, of wailing and the whole stuff with the Spock and Bones um, that's a bit dark as well. Yeah. So it, it, it was a bit of a, uh, again, a bit of a course correction. Now, this franchise is just totally all over the shop yeah. throughout throughout its its, uh, its then, history. I mean, so is James Bond. So are a lot of franchises. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So um, uh, so Voyage Home is in many ways. What would you say? It's the octopusy of the <laughs> of the franchise. Well, you know, Diamonds are forever. It's a bit more. It's a bit more tongue in cheek. A bit more knowing. I would say it's one of two that are played primarily for laughs because Insurrection is also a comedy mm-hmm. uh, and I really enjoy it because it, play, it, it, it it riffs on a lot of more playful elements that Star Trek brings you know all the stuff with Worf going through a kind of belated puberty I mean there's, <laughs> there's so much fun to it uh, before you get into F. Murray Abraham sort of flying around and having facelifts but, uh, <laughs> but they do you know they have, a, they have a lot of laughs with that one and I think if you love these characters if you live with these characters it's, a, it's really enjoyable flawed as it is mm-hmm. as a it, film Insurrection Beyond and Voyage Home are the ones that feel to me like they're almost extended episodes. Yeah, yeah very much. It, it almost feels like, oh, this is, what are they doing this week? Yeah. Oh, they're going down to Earth to save the whales. Oh, okay, well, what, are they, what are they doing? Voyage Home was literally done on Star Trek Voyager. Sarah Silverman was in it, where they end up going back in time to LA. Right. So they end up doing it again. Hmm. But, right, but like time. I said earlier, Voyage Home is like the end of a trilogy as well. I mean, there's, there's elements in that story which are, feeling coming straight yeah. out of yeah, yeah. Uh, search for Spock yeah, yeah. because Spock isn't himself yet no. he's still recovering mm-hmm. so you've kind of got that makes it more interesting to me because you okay you've got all the kind of the silly stuff but there is a contin- there's, there is a con- continuation this Spock's journey is, is road mm-hmm. to recovery mm-hmm. is happening mm-hmm. there they're um, literally not on the Enterprise they're on the Klingon yeah. ship from yeah. the end of three the bounty yeah. the bounty the next gen movies 
uh, have I think has one undeniable stinker, and that is Nemesis. See, I quite oh, like Nemesis. No, not at all. Mm, not really, at all. Nemesis is Nemesis, Nemesis is, is solid. Awful. I actually watched it again recently. Mm. Um, Again, I can see objectively taken as a sort of a film independent of Star Trek where people can kind of find issues with it. But I really, I, I think Nemesis is a, is a really solid entry. I remember interviewing Stuart Baird for that and he was really like, uh, he was very like nervy about it. And he said to me at the end of the interview, he said, uh, do you think it'll do well? And I was like, it'll clean up on DVD. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Backhanded compliments. He didn't. I don't think he was comforted by that, but no. it's true. No, um, I, no it's well, good. It's, Nemesis, you know, Nemesis it's, is 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 it's, it's malign. It's yeah, the most it underrated. It's yeah, not, it's not Tom Hardy's finest work, but nevertheless, as Praetor Shinzon, I enjoyed him. I like the introduction mm. of the Remans. There's a lot of fan service in there. The set design uh, of the ship, like the the the, the scimitar, is fantastic. Um, but also the, uh, the it's the first time they'd done the Enterprise on a gimbal, so they actually moved and tilted it, so they, you didn't have to have that weird thing where they'd wobble the camera and everyone pretend to be falling over, like. It had a real yeah. sort of like a, a realism to it. So it's not a stinker. It's not a stinker it's at all. Stinker. No, it's, I mean, it is objectively better than Insurrection. Because I remember yeah. being very, very bad. For me, it's again, going back to the Robert Wise thing, it's a director who has no connection to Trek and maybe it's just a bit of a journeyman director and doesn't really know what to do with it. A bit of a Martin Campbell and Green Lantern situation. Yeah, I don't think he was a fan, but I think he did, he made a, he made a really good effort with that one and it has a, a lot of emotional punch to it. You know, what mm. happens with data, you know, yeah. like a lot goes on in that film and it feels like a really, you know, powerful capstone to the kind of next-gen movies. It just doesn't feel to me like the send-off the next-gen cast deserved. It's not the send-off to the next-gen cast that the undiscovered country was to the original cast, yeah. especially right down to the very ending of that film, which is beautiful. Yeah. Peter Pan reference but no I came out of that feeling very fulfilled I, uh, I enjoyed I, I was happy at the end of Nemesis it, I thought it, this is the last film then I'm you know yeah okay it's, it's not it's, I mean it's definitely not the undiscovered country but it's it's at least got some scope and some drama and some excitement and, mm. and you know I think it perhaps I think I, it's maligned I really do perhaps it, I stand corrected it did it did really annoy my mother-in-law I stand well, uncorrected yeah no no she, she was very annoyed by Nemesis because because it killed Data she was just. She just didn't. She, she said that didn't need to happen. Why did that happen? It contravened the Data Protection Act. Yeah, yeah, very good. The only thing that annoyed my mother-in-law in more than the death of Data was the death of Wash. Oh, oh serenity. Yeah. Speaking of things, I'm a leaf on the wind. Yeah. Speaking of things, I'll never get over. Well, this is now a Serenity spoiler special. (laughs) (laughs) So apologies if you haven't seen Serenity, but Alan Tudyk gets killed in horrible fashion at the end. Uh, So, (laughs) and he's not the only one. Yes, I thought they were going to kill everyone towards the end. That's why he did it. They kill Book, then they kill Wash, and you think that's it? They're all going to die. Yeah, because at that point Mm. he starts putting everyone in like dire mortal peril. Yeah, yeah. it's like Lake Seven. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was an episode to watch when you were a kid. And I know, went, right? Oh, this is... What? What's happening? Oh, my God! You can't do that. They're going to come back next week, aren't they, Daddy? Oh, dear, I still remember the end of the first series of Robin of Sherwood when they killed Robin Hood. And you're just like, oh, my God! I yeah. don't remember that, really. Yeah. Michael Prade, he wasn't in anymore. And then he was replaced by Jason Connery. In I thought they just replaced two. him. I thought it was just like a, no, he, he has a different face. He gets, he gets arrowed yeah. in the face many times. Yeah, uh, it has this whole thing traumatic. about yeah, Robin Hood is a mantle, not not yeah. you know, and that's it. Hearn the Hunter finds that's a new right. person to be Robin Hood and everything. Because he makes, changes his name because he's yeah. just Robin of Loxley, isn't he? In the second one, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a whole, he's also blonde. I did not know that. Um, anyway, so uh, should we get back to talking about Star Trek? Sure, sure. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the re. 
Continuation. The continuation <laughs> the movies. Ultimate timeline. The alternate Kelvin timeline. Uh, the uh, so Chris Pine and all that jazz. Uh, what do we think of these movies? I think they're out of the three. They're two stone cold belters for me. They are more than anything else accessible, which is what Star Trek mm. has never been apart from uh, the Voyage Home. Which is the reason the Voyage Home's box office was always the highest because it had crossover appeal. And I think this. I mean, it's not Star Wars, but it brought Star Trek out of that really sort of nerdy niche. Oh my god, I can't believe you're watching this area, which <laughs> I live in, uh, to where normal humans could enjoy it. And I think that, if if nothing else, is is, is what it's achieved. I'd agree with that, but also note that it's ver- the first one and this is where I think the, that's the two sequels slightly lose points for me the first one also really nerdily layers it up for fans so what the first one does it's like Inside Out in that fans are watching a completely different film yeah. to the ones that non-fans are watching and I think that's really really clever because it does give you an out where you don't have to sit there the whole film going oh my god this is wrong oh my god that contravenes what we learned about the timeline in episode x you know <laughs> it it gives you a way of say of of genuinely rebooting or recontinuing the story from a new point of view and i thought that was so fiendishly clever mm. the first time I, I watched it. i was really impressed yeah i i, I love the way that it they they baked into the story the whole kobayashi maru thing yeah. which obviously is referred to way back mm-hmm. in Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea that Kirk was the only person to, to pass the test by cheating. So what they do is they cheat. They cheat the franchise. The only way that they can continue things on without having to retcon everything or mess everything around is, they, you know, Orkie and Kurtzman and Abrams pull their own Kobayashi Maru. Mm with that film mm. and I just love that I mean it's, it's, it's just really smart and okay it's got great big plot holes and stuff like that but I just remember watching it just going this is both fun and also clever yeah, yeah. like me also very very Star Trek to alter the timeline is the most Star Trek thing. <laughs> it is the most Star uh, Trek thing yeah <laughs> loved it but you know it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a whole other timeline now yeah. it's uh, you know um, it was it was such a shame though to go from such an assured kind of resurrection of Star Trek to go from that to into darkness. Yes, which is exactly yeah. as Helen was saying. It, it it undid all the goodwill they'd earned with that one, which was mm. both accessible but true to Star Trek's history. Mm. And then in this one, it's like they kind of unzipped and took a massive piss all over <laughs> everything that you know meant so much to people the Khan thing everyone's I mean you can John Harrison as much as you like but everyone knew who that was and even if they hadn't no one would have wanted to know that yeah. why mean, make it a secret why not yeah, make like it an whole, asset like the Blofeld thing in Spectre makes no yeah, sense yeah. exactly no just sense. use it just say that's what's happening that will get people excited because you get that point where um, Cumberbatch, who's the best thing about that film, I think. I mean, I really like the chemistry of the of the new of the reboot cast. I think they're they're fantastic together. Yeah, Cumberbatch is genuinely great in that film. But the, but the bit where he goes, "My name is Khan Noonien Singh," and it means nothing to Kirk, hmm. yeah. so it doesn't matter. Just reveal it. Just it it's fine. But then talking about cheating in the first film in a good way, they kind of cheat in a bad way in the second one by having Spock. You know, from yeah. the other yep. timeline, yeah. because this isn't a reboot. Remember, it's Prime actually Spock. technically a sequel. Prime Spock appears and goes, ah, well, you see, you've got to understand this about this guy because he did this and did it. And it's like the clumsiest bit of it's exposition terrible. ever. Yeah. I, it, it just, oh. If you want to go back, you can, listen, you can listen to the Star Trek in the Darkness <laughs> spoiler special with uh, the producer, Brian Burke, and the writers, Roberta Orsi and uh, Alex Kurtzman, <laughs> if you want to. And you can probably hear our opinions being completely different in that podcast <laughs> <laughs> than they are now. Yeah. 
I think we liked it a little more back then, but, didn't we? But as I was saying before, you can hate on it for that and you should hate on it for that. But it's still, you know, there's lots to like about that. Yeah, but there's yeah. also like hiding people in torpedoes, which was just I mean, dumb at I, any yeah, age. No I don't care. And Peter Weller has a really cool ship. Uh, sure. But yeah. is it, isn't it the wrong story? That film tells the wrong story. The story that film should be telling is about the Klingon War, right? It's about yeah. the outbreak of... The, which ended up being, of course, yeah. the Discovery yeah. story, exactly. which the, was a great story. The Klingons in that look really cool, and they're in it for all of five minutes, yeah. and it's a real shame. Yeah, because mm. right, they, they, they pop up for a bit, and you're mm. like, I'm like, oh, brilliant. We're going to see... The, the, the you know we didn't call it that then but we're going to see the Kelvin Klingons if you like and you know <laughs> and then this will be really cool and I remember thinking oh actually no okay this this is going to be really good and then after that one little set piece that was it and then the whole thing was about uh, avoiding the war or yeah, something yeah the militarization of Starfleet and keeping Starfleet true to its ideas yeah yeah um, which but then again that wasn't delivered well either and you know you have. Kirk and Spock still with so much tension between them that the idea that they are also devoted to each other doesn't come across. Like, it's just, yeah. it's messy. It's really Absolutely. messy. I, I, we talk so often on the podcast about how franchises are trying to copy the Marvel model and get it wrong and they run before they can walk. And uh, Into Darkness is definitely an example of a franchise running before it could walk. And that led to, again, a bit of a course correction with Beyond, uh, where they brought in a new director, Justin Lin. J.J. Abrams was off in a galaxy far, far away. And so they brought in Justin Lin and... He didn't Fast and Furious it up, but he did bring a real sense of fun and a real sense of, of joie de fever to it and, mm-hmm. and focused on the characters. And one of the things I love about Beyond is that it gave Carl Urban something to do because he is brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. he was underused in both previous ones. Yeah. yeah. By the way, if you can hear like a noise, there's pipes in the background. We're not doing this in a studio. We're doing this in a meeting room. So there's some pipes we can't control making noise. Mm-hmm. So apologies it's, for it's that. It's the Jeffrey's tubes. Yeah, it is. Oh, solid. <laughs> Love it. So, um, what do we... Um, so, before we bring this home... Before oh, we... I think you mean the turbo lifts because the Jeffrey's tubes are, of course... Oh, oh, Jesus. oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. His eyes did that thing again. Um, <laughs> Shut up, Data. <laughs> I think he's closer to lore. Somehow. Just, oh. Got... <laughs> oh, good. Good that reference. Very like good. It. Uh, very good. Okay. See, I, I don't come to play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so out of my depth. <laughs> When you think about Star Trek, quick Google, lower. Yes, lower. Um, before we get into voting, let's very, very quickly go through the best villain for you from all 13 films. Who's the best villain? Khan. Yeah, you kind of, I mean, I mean, it'd be, I don't know, I love Chang a lot. Mm. So it would be one of those two. Mm-hmm. Ricardo Montalban's Khan, obviously. He's amazing. Um, but I, I mean, I really like Chang. And then, you know, I, the Borg Queen I enjoy, but I don't think she's on the same level. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I'll, I'll say, if, if Helen's going Khan, I'll go Chang. Wrath of Khan is probably the most quotable movie, isn't it? It's oh, certainly the one that gets the most yeah. outings in the Empire office. It is. I kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best villain, but we've, we, we've not mentioned him. But Christopher Lloyd in, in the third he's, one. Yeah, he's yeah. good. I like he is, oh, yes. he, I really Lloyd like him has, as generic third Klingon. He's fantastic. Oh, come <laughs> on. Christopher Lloyd can be generic if he tried. He was first Klingon in that Sorry. as well. Come on. Yeah. Unbelievable. Mm. What was his name, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> he was very memorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, and Idris Elba in Beyond, I can barely remember him. Yes. I can remember the twist. It, oh, yeah. That was, a, that was a decent twist. He was not I good. thought. But uh, otherwise, you know, mm. buried too much under under latex. Yeah. And Eric Bann is a bit bland. As hey. Yeah. 
I know, I love Eric Bana as well, Helen, but uh, perhaps not in the way you do. But... I mean, you've slagged off the I mean, Hulk, and now you've slagged off. When did I slag off the Hulk? You slagged off Ang Lee's Hulk earlier. I'd... Oh, God, yeah, this has been, this has been <laughs> one long Eric, back again. Eric Bana pile on. A bit, bit of respect for Eric Bana that when, uh, when he gets hailed over the comedy, he goes, Hi, Christopher, I'm Nero. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek The Search for Spock, of course, plays. <laughs> Commander Krug, I'm Commander what? Kruger, Krug, Commander Krug, Krug, Krug. James, you can help me out here. I, I, I can't remember Krug, his name. I think. I, I think it is Krug. Yes. Don't worry, Trekkers have long turned off this podcast <laughs> and disgust. He had a li- he had a little slimy pet thing, didn't he? That little puppety thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't he? <laughs> we, lo- we I love that. A, we love a slimy pet. Um, yeah. Best character in the in, across all thirteen films. Wolf. Spock. Worf. Worf is great. I love Worf. Straight I totally Worf. love Worf. Um, Spock. Uh, which which version? Spock Prime, Prime. or? Yeah. I mean, again, Zachary Quinto is great, but yeah. I, honestly, I would always take Kirk over Spock. I love Shatner's oh Kirk. God. He was just brilliant. I think well, this is um, something that Kirk doesn't get enough credit for being a nerd. Yeah. And Spock doesn't get enough credit for being cool. Yeah. And I feel like that's the interesting thing about both of them is like. Kirk is the outwardly cool one who's like secretly collects actual real books. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And plays chess and stuff. And and Spock is the outwardly you know sciency dude who secretly like is has a way with the ladies. And you know I just I like that dichotomy between them. Well, in that case, I'm going to say Bones. Bones is great. Who doesn't love Bones? I never loved Bones. He's, he's, what? He, I just how yeah. not? Bones is the Derek Smalls of the band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he's 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 you know one uh, you know Kirk's hot water and and and, and Spock's cold and, and and Bones is 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 lukewarm. Luke I mean, he, he has more flesh no. on his bones than, for example, Scotty, who's incredibly two dimensional. But um, but I, no, I, I don't. Know. He was never. I know he was one of the core three, but he he never never did it for me. You know who I liked. I was really disappointed when she didn't come back for, for three. The character came back, but the actor didn't. Mm. Mr. Savick. Mr. Savick. Kirstie Alley. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Robin Curtis, I believe, in three. Someone's probably got that wrong. I could Google it, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> Robin Curtis in Star Trek, the, uh, the uh, search for Spock. But Savick was so great in, in, uh, in Wrath of Khan. Mm. And I always had the, the sense that there was maybe some, a little spark there between her and, and Spock. Well, Even though saying, he was many, many decades her senior. I'm telling you, Spock's got it with the ladies. Yeah. Well, well look, look at the JJ film. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Also, Data. I want to give a, a shout out to Data. I always love Data as well. I, I mean, I will never say a bad word against anyone in the next generation except for Wesley Crusher. Uh, <laughs> and Dr. Pulaski, if I'm hey, honest with I you. Had, Not I, a fan of Dr. Oh, Dr. Pulaski. Pulaski was terrible. But I had a crush on Wesley Crusher as a 10-year-old as a or whatever really? it was. I yeah. remember, I remember the, the episode, I think it's called The Game. Whenever it's the one yes, where he where, saves the ship. That's right, where Ashley Judd is in it. Yes. And it's, it's a Wesley Crusher episode. Him and Ashley Judd are having some fun. He saved the ship more than a 13-year-old should have to. That he I'm did. just saying. Yeah, he did. I will, I will. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's the joke argument, but I would argue Picard over Kirk. Yeah, and you'd be right. Yeah, Picard. Picard <laughs> yeah. is yeah. 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 Picard In is, terms of captains, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Picard is godly. And and it's a shame that we never got a Deep Space Nine film, or that would be an entirely yeah, different yeah. Cisco conversation. Was a dude. Cisco is total dude. You see, Deep Space Nine is the massive hole in my Trek knowledge because I never watched it because I, I I by the time that came along, I think I was at the cooler end of my teens. If you see what I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I was cooler, but you were more worried about 
doing the cool things, yeah. which is why I stopped playing Dungeons and Dragons and stopped watching Star Trek but, and, but, but and went is, out and, and drunk booze and hung out with girls. I'm going to go sure, on record sure. right now saying Deep Space Nine is the single best of all the Trek series. That is correct. Uh, so to have missed it means you missed out massively. And, and it's also the coolest. It is the coolest. So, the apart edginess. from maybe Discovery. I mean, yeah, Discovery's in edgy in darker, probably. Uh, but it went to some pretty bleak places. And it was art-based, which none of the others were. Like, it had an ongoing narrative with the Dominion. It was fantastic. Well, of course, that was forced by Babylon 5. I'm just saying. I mean, was- yes, you're right. Straczynski had a massive influence on it. Yeah. But it was uh, it's so, so good. You are right there, Chris. If you want to hear James uh, already going on the record about Deep Space Nine being the best Star Trek series, you can, of course, search out our 50th anniversary Star Trek celebration podcast, yes, in do, which James. Helen and James get really deeply nerdy, and I try desperately to hang on to the coattails. So check that one out. Uh, and then the last thing before we vote is uh, the standout moment of the saga, all 13 films. Uh, I'm going to go, obviously, for the tragic death, as I said before. Of Peter Preston. Uh, he, he served. He lived. He died. It's, it's a bit when, when Spock dies while quoting Jeremy Corbyn. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great <laughs> oh, moment. What does he do? <laughs> the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. Or the one. I, I, do you know what I love about that is that they did then twist it for track three. And that's why I think Search for Spock is up there as a good film. Um, because it... it it carries through the it proves the opposite of two and and proves the balance for that which i think is great but yeah at the brisk of being a basic bitch i mean it's the it's the death of spock it's i genuinely genuinely like to this day cannot watch it or talk about it for any length of time without tearing it's, up it's a gorgeous it gorgeous is moment. so perfectly delivered from yeah. spock to camley leaving the bridge to mm-hmm. scotty too solemnly saying you better get down here captain mm-hmm. to kirk looking around to the race through the ship to all of engineering mm-hmm. just standing there it's all right, Helen. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> Helen it's just, is legitimately tearing up. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I would make I would make a case for another death scene, and that would be the death of Kirk's dad. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, and that's yeah. Hemsworth, of course, yeah. as, as we mentioned earlier. And I couldn't believe that the opening of a film introducing yeah. a character that don't you know we'd only just met. Yeah. And the way they shot that, wrote that, uh, the way Hemsworth played it. Yep. Um, I couldn't. I was. I was actually like tearing up, and it was the beginning of the film. It's like the first, it's, the first five, ten yeah. minutes of the film, and you were already like, Whoa. Yeah. "It's That's one what, of it's so. one of only two films that ever made me cry before the credits, yeah. along oh, no, with Finding one. Nemo." Yeah. Oh, not oh. up. Was after the credits. Oh, is it? Oh, fine. Okay. All right, I'll let you off. <laughs> Uh, but yes, the uh, that is that's that's that is very powerful. Surprisingly, that's, so. yeah, that's one of the great star making performances. Mm. That's one of those things where someone who goes in, you have five minutes of screen time, grab it and do everything you can with it. And uh, I just hope that that guy goes on to do something mm. else. Mm. Whoever that is, is mm. it Luke Luke Hemsworth? Uh, uh, Liam, yeah. I Liam, Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, whoever Larry, that guy possibly. is, yeah. Larry Hemsworth. The, uh, his, his brother was really good in those Divergent films. <laughs> Uh, but he's so good. But yeah, the Spock moment is just—it's—it's it's, it's a goosebumps moment. It's, it's chills. It's, people often shit on Shatner's ability as an actor. It's something I've never really understood. If you want to—if you want to know how good William Shatner is as an actor, watch any of the Columbo episodes where he's the bad guy, <laughs> uh, obviously. But or or any of Boston Legal. Or he's any great. of Boston Legal. Legal. <laughs> he is so good, but he's so good in that moment. Him and Nimoy together are just extraordinary. It's you know, and it's so quotable. As James just said, mm. uh, and it leads, of course, I think to, to 
it leads to um, to Shatner's best moment, which is the funeral, you know, of all the souls I've encountered Man, in my travels. This was the most... <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love it when he calls Spock. He says, you know what, Spock? We're all human. Like, I find that remark insulting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always thought Spock is not necessarily going to be impressed by that, disc- by, by that, by that eulogy, but still, it's perfect. That, that, is, that is a fantastic... But there's so many great great moments in that film from him bellowing Khan you know yeah. oh my god to you know the shields when they ambush them in the ships and like when they go into the nebula and he starts spouting off Moby Dick I'll chase him round the Antares nebula I mean it's so good from hell's heart from I hell's stab heart, at the yeah. oh. it's amazing I had a really disheartening experience with Wrath of Khan though because in the magazine as I'm sure oh, everyone right. knows um, we do this kids watch classics column and I thought, I know, I'm going to watch Rather Calm with my son Louis. And Chris was well up for this, doing that one. And we'll watch that because if you only see one Star Trek movie, you should watch that one. So I thought, oh, my son. And we were watching it. And we were like, you know, it, at the beginning. And I was kind of like, he was like, who are these people? What are they talking about? <laughs> like, you've got like Kirk and Spock kind of catching. I know everything. And, you know, they're all. And, and it's like, if you know Star Trek, it means a lot to you. But yeah. if you're coming in cold yeah. as an 11 year old. You're like, oh, what's going on? This one's really boring. It's just loads of people and they're talking about it. I don't know what they're talking about. And then I went, look, don't worry. When we get to the spaceship battles, it'll be really cool. And we got spaceship battles and he was just sitting there like, oh, this is so <laughs> dull. I can't believe. Oh. And he, got re- he, actually, he actually got really upset because he, he just got home from school mm-hmm. and I thought it was a treat and he felt like he'd wasted. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe I've wasted my, my downtime watching this film. And I'm just like, okay, But fine. you've kind of tied into there. That's what it has, that Into Darkness didn't have. It has earned everything that happens in it. The fact that it's Chekhov who gets the little parasite in his ear, you know, there's so much weight to that. And if you don't know who these people are, you're just like, meh. But that's the thing. I didn't know who they were when I watched it. I watched, you know, when I was when I first saw Wrath of Khan, I must have seen. I've I'd seen some episodes of the, of the original series because it was on BBC Two at six o'clock uh, weeknights, mm-hmm. probably once a week or twice a week, something like that. I would watch them, but and I would know who Kirk and Spock and Bones and Chekhov, all those guys were, and Uhura, of uh, obviously uh, getting the pronunciation right. But when I went into Wrath of Khan, I kind of went in fresh. Mm. And it's, it's so elegant at catching up with who these guys are and establishing the relationships, the interpersonal relationships. By the time the end comes, it's just a, it's a beautiful moment. And uh, that really surprised me. Yeah. That really surprised I me. I had to keep pausing it to explain things. I said, okay, so that's Captain Kirk. Who's he? Well, he did it. Okay, who's that guy? That's Spock. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind yeah. of like, it was, I just thought, I shouldn't have to be doing this. So is, I don't know. I, I, perhaps the film is more flawed than we think it is. Or maybe it's just... Mm. Or maybe you know. your son is just wrong. I mean, with all mm, due no. respect to a small... I, he loved 12 angry men. The more likely scenario yeah. here, Dan, is that you have failed as a parent. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the conclusion I'm coming to. And a to. human being. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> it is sad, though, isn't it, that everyone talks about the death of Spock and no one cares about the death of Kirk. You know, like Generations does a few things, right? Like the crashing of the Enterprise D is kind of an interesting moment. In fact, I would say the most heartbreaking part of that film isn't even Kirk's death. It's the destruction of, of the, ship. the D. Yeah. It's like seeing she- the Galaxy Class Enterprise on the planet smash. You're like, I love that ship. And it's Kirk's dead. You know, like, yeah. Who doesn't love the D? 
<laughs> yes, Chris. NCC 1701D, of course, being the uh, serial number of that particular enterprise. He I, knew that. Yeah, I, I know, James. Just, just. It's also the most beautiful enterprise, I think. Mm. Yes, it's very elegant. I like the sovereign class. I like the E when it yeah. appears in First Contact. I do like that one. But then even that is better than the uh, the alternate reality D that appears in All Good Things, the series finale, with the third nacelle and the whole... It's, it's a mess. Of yeah. it's, it's almost like they had a model and they just stuck bits on. All right, what's going to happen now is uh, we are going to go away, put our top tens together. Dan's already hinted at uh, his number one. Well, he's told us his number one and his number three. We're going to put together our top tens. I'm going to compile a top ten, and then we're going to come back and run down the top ten. Right, enough squabbling. Let's vote. Okay, welcome back after that very, very brief break to the ranking Star Trek. Uh, or is it Star Trek the ranking? I should figure that out one of these days. And we have the official top ten. This is the Empire top ten of the Star Trek movies in order of quality. Uh, three movies. I think you won't be surprised to know that obviously it's 13 movies. Three didn't make the cut. And you won't be surprised to know that those three are Star Trek The Darkness, <laughs> uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and Star Trek The Motion Picture. What? I am I shocked. Shocked, wow. I say. I big, thought big someone shot. was going to make a contrarian gambit for one of those ones, didn't they? Um, I would put Into Darkness above Search for Spock. I'm just saying. Oh, Final my God. God. And you did. Uh, Final Frontier, in fact, you were the only person to vote for Into Darkness, and uh, I was the only person to vote for the motion picture. So, which is not very good, but uh, again, we're talking the sliding scale of shitness. It is less not good than the others. Nonsense. So, uh, <laughs> so let's go. Number 10. Just narrowly beating Into Darkness is Insurrection. How do we feel about that? I just don't feel anything for interaction, really. <laughs> I have it's fine. boundless affection for that film, but it is not objectively a good film. Uh, it has some great lines in it, but it's, yeah, it's it's very flawed. I think I think this is fair. I, I, argue with I barely remember it, to be honest, but yeah. I, I, I remember being disappointed that the title meant nothing. <laughs> that there was no insurrection well, they in Insurrection. Well, they kind of stage Insurrection, and they rebel against orders, don't they, when they go... But yeah, yeah not in a big way. Yeah. No not, more than not, average. No. It seems like possibly the script followed the name. But anyway, yeah. um, okay. has, it's some, it's fun. But as Dan said, it's it's a it's a substandard fun episode yeah. of the show. It's yeah. very forgettable. Uh, at number nine, we have another next gen movie, and that is Generations. Oh. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. I would put, also put that below Nemesis. So yeah. I I agree with this voting. I'd have put it higher. Oh, I did put it higher, actually. I did put it higher. Yeah, it's it's I, I, I do. I, I I know, but there was just just a certain fun of the whole Kirk beats Picard thing. Yeah, I mean, just the, the whole thing, the Nexus was, and the Christmas mm. and the horses, and it's just like. No. There was less fun than there should have been yeah. in Kirk meeting Picard. Uh, about the nicest thing I can say about that film is I liked that it gave Guinan something to do. Yeah, and it was nice to see her in it. But I mean, who thought it was a good idea to have Lursa and Bator in the film? Yeah. What do you think of them, Chris? You love Lursa and Bator, don't you? My, my favourite of all of those is definitely the one where uh, Tasha Yar gets eaten by the pond. Ah, yes. Anyway. Skin of evil. <laughs> That was terrifying. Don't even don't even start with that. Terrifying. She returned though. She returned as a Romulan. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Number eight, Nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. That's about where it should be. Bottom, see, bottom half of the table, but towards the top of the bottom half. But do you see what I mean? I mean you, have, you have like six or seven good films, and then you're going Nemesis at number eight. I mean, eight. like I say, I, I have a soft spot for Nemesis. Mm. I like the whole Picard meets his younger twisted self thing. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's fine. It's yeah. good. And it's Tom Hardy as well. It's I mean, Tom Hardy. you know, yeah. if, you, if you want a bit of Tom, you know, if you're a Tom Hardy fan and you fancy, you know, having a, yeah. 
curious experience watching him in that film. <laughs> yes, watching like, that film with a prosthetic nose, so he looks a little bit more like Patrick Stewart. But only a little. Mm. Mm. Only a very yeah. little. <laughs> yeah. And also, they had to get rid of data. You had to get rid of data. Because I mean, he's getting, getting too old. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't have worked. You could see, you could already see the, the you know, Spiner was sagging by this point, and it just, it just wouldn't have worked. And I think Spiner has a co-writing credit on Nemesis, so I think I, he was, he was partly instrumental in the death of his own character. Data was past his prime anyway. I think when they gave him his emotion chip, I just, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that, that just he stopped being Data at that point. Yeah. It's like I appreciate as an actor, you probably want some dramatic range, but the whole flat, deadpan thing, that's your thing. Deal with it. Hmm. Mm. And remember not to use contractions, which he didn't always. No. Story only for uh, Brent Spiner, along with uh, Rick Berman and John Logan. Uh, John Logan is responsible, and I mean that word, responsible (laughs) for the screenplay. Uh, Okay, so let's move on to number seven, Star Trek Beyond. I think that's fair. There's lots of fun things, but it doesn't feel like it moves us forward. I put Beyond above A Voyage Home on account of the fact that A Voyage Home isn't really a Star Trek film. You're not really a Star Trek. I mean, apart from all the Star Trek characters, no, being but it in is. It's like it's 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 almost like a like the holiday special. Did you think you know it was Police mean? Academy film? Oh, you so it was like on the buses. <laughs> yes, holiday on the Star Trek. Yeah, it's okay. it's. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like I like it, and I recognise it's a good film. And actually, it was very important in getting more people into mm. Star Trek. But nevertheless, for pure Trekness, I would take. Yes. Uh, I, I enjoy things like transparent aluminium. Oh yes, like yes. That like that fun. a lot yeah. and you know it has some good lines in it better for you it's better for us it's better for them <laughs> when your major characters go on a holiday it's usually not a good sign that's true usually actually. not a good sign sorry are we talking about Starship Beyond because <laughs> <laughs> they go on holiday to that lovely planet, planet lovely. don't they oh, yeah, we haven't even discussed Voyage Home that's coming but, up um, um, yes yeah, so no, no, Beyond, Beyond uh, the only thing with the, I mean Beyond is really good fun I think because ah. it sits so Apart from everything, it's like I miss that sense of connection with the other films. Mm. So it kind of feels more like it's the insurrection of that series or that that kind of a thing. But also it kind of lost a bit of impact because how many times have we seen the Enterprise destroyed now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, it's, oh, okay, it still upsets me. So if it's not going to have emotional weight when it happens, then why but, do it? But they haven't. So therefore the emotional weight is carried by them and their reaction. Well, to then the they don't deliver it. I thought, I thought it worked for me. It worked for me. Note to all actors in yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, no, it just as an audience member who's who's you know kind of like we said we just you know we saw it in Generations, we saw it in uh, Star Trek Three. It has a great moment though where um, the Beastie Boys come into play. And yes. while I'm not yeah, a fan of Kirk's musical choices, uh, that was really, really fun. It, it was fantastic. And I, along with Simon Pegg, despair of the marketing department who chose to use that song as a soundtrack to the trailer for the film, yeah. which was. But that doesn't that doesn't COVID. that doesn't tip you off that it's going to be used in the film. No, but all it does is reestablish a link with Kirk and that you song. Didn't need you didn't I, need the link. I, I think it, it would have been a nice thing for people if they pick up on that, but you don't need it. Like okay. it's just it's a really cool moment, and I felt that they they took away from that. But anyway, it was great. Enjoyed it. Good. So that's number seven. Number six, the search for Spock. Absolutely not. Shouldn't even be in the top ten. See, Don't be ridiculous. You're all idiots. I think James is massively underestimating the search for Spock, yeah. which I yes. think is admittedly generic Klingon. What was his name? Was very very good in it. No, but it's 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 good because it develops the story of Wrath of Khan further. It it sort of goes against the whole. As I say, it's suddenly the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many, which is the kind of the compassion and the relationships that you know you've built up over mm-hmm. thirty years of Trek. I I think it's yeah. I I, I didn't love it. As much nearly as it's one, the ones on either side, but I still think it's underrated. I agree with Helen, although it wasn't much of a search, was it? 
<laughs> he's right no. there. Yeah. No, it wasn't. He's yeah, right yeah. where we left him. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the last place we it's, thought of looking. It's like we the left journey him. to pick up yeah. Spock was not yeah. really snappy enough. It's like when you lose something and your mum says, well, where did you last have it? <laughs> or when well, you, you lose it. him onto the <laughs> Genesis planet. Oh, must be there. Exactly. When, you, when you lose your glasses and they're on your head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number five, the voyage home. Or as James said, uh, our voyage home. Have you seen a different... The voyage home. Did I say a voyage home? Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say that. I, I do know what it's called. I'm it's just it. a bit <laughs> of silly fun, isn't yeah. it? It's just a bit of fun. Nothing wrong, with the, nothing wrong with There's nothing wrong being silly, as Terry Jones once yeah. said. And so, fine, let's, let's let the Star Trek franchise have it silly. The yeah, bit where Spock swims in the tank and mind melds with the whale is fun. Also, saving the whales generally is a yeah. good thing. We should applaud things that save yeah. whales and do a good thing. I like the Kill idea that an alien probe comes back and it's going to destroy the entire planet because we killed the whales. It's very, you know, I mean, mate, but it could happen and quite frankly, we'd be in the shit if and it does. It's what not like it? they could have had a recording of a whale somewhere that they could have... No, because they were having a conversation with the whales. That's the point. Uh, maybe they could have faked it. If they can use a universal translator to find out what, you know, all sorts of races do, I'm sure they could have broken down the language of whales. They didn't have any live ones to work with. They could have got planet Earth. I'm sure they've got a Blu-ray somewhere. <laughs> Number four, the undiscovered country. Yes, although it should be higher. It should be higher. What? Discover Country should be two or three, depending on what day of the week. That's it is. top three. Yeah, that is it top is. three. So I'm not saying everyone should agree with me, but that's top three. This yeah. is this is ridiculous. I'm walking out. Go on then. Go on then. See no, if I care. We'll see if I later. care. No, stay. Stay. Oh, he's gone. No, stay. Stay. I will uh, walk at the end. I'm going to walk out. You are an essential part of this podcast, Darren. Uh, all right. So four <laughs> is the undiscovered country. Number three. First contact. But See, it was very what? close. That I have to say, again, it's no. very, very close. Again, first contact is my number two choice. I see. Uh, uh, Undiscovered Country was my number yeah, two. Yeah, and, and, but then first, I was really torn on whether to go Undiscovered Country or First Contact. I, I did go First Contact. But, uh, but yeah, I think for me, the top three are absolutely Wrath of Khan, First Contact and Undiscovered Country. The First Contact is... is is a great fun film. It kind of works really well as an action movie, and it's got you know a, yeah. a good threat to it. But it does it just it doesn't work on as many levels as Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country is layered and, and yeah. smart, and, and I don't so, weirdly, even though you know, like yourself, you know, Next Generation is the Trek I've watched most. I don't have the same emotional connection to First Contact that I do to the Undiscovered Country or Can. Mm. Number two, Star Trek. That's well, too high for me. It is too high. I'm happy with it being three or four. Really? Yeah. I think it's absolutely far and away the most entertaining of them all by a country mile. And I include Ratha Khan in that. Uh, one issue I do have is it's just being called Star Trek. What would you have called it? I would call it Star Trek something. Star Into Trek, Kelvin. not a reboot. That, that would be a marketing decision because yeah. Star Trek stuff, Star Trek films don't tend to make a lot of money in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, and I guess they want to bring in a new audience. They want to start again. Um, so it made sense in that regard because posi- even though it isn't a reboot they positioned it as a reboot very much so um, and I think that was a shrewd move and it paid off mm-hmm. and then number one um, The Wrath of Khan The Wrath of Khan yeah Hooray. shock because you can't 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 <laughs> undisputed number one by some distance yes yes I Happy? dispute that <laughs> <laughs> from hell's heart down stabs at thee Dan <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. The wrath of Dan has ended this podcast. Uh, and that is it for this edition of the ranking. Uh, the longest one yet. Wow. Imagine what it's going to be like when we do the MCU. <laughs> There's going to be so many arguments. We're going to be here all bloody week. Uh, and then we'll realise that ultimately, of course, it's Age of Ultron. <laughs> anyway, so that is it. Uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Dan. Revenge is a dish best served cold. 
Was your toodaloo uh, It is very a cold quote? in space. No. Okay. Should it have been a quote? I'm, I'm just saying that uh, Dan has gone straight in with a quote. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. It's fine. It's I'm, fine. I'm sorry. It's totally fine. It's goodbye from James. It is a good day to die, and the day <laughs> is not yet over. <laughs> and uh, it's goodbye from me. Live long and prosper and all that nonsense. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, God. but these guys here, you know, these guys of, of all the souls I've encountered on my travels, there's are the most <laughs> thanks for listening see you next time bye <laughs>